Welcome to 4D. Deep dive into degenerative diseases. Gaining insights through casual and amusing clinical conversations. Welcome to 4D, a podcast brought to you by the AMPT Degenerative Diseases Special Interest Group. I'm Chris Burke, physical therapist, and I serve as the nominating committee chair of the DDC. So I'm excited to be here tonight. Uh, we have a series of special podcasts to showcase some of our CSM award recipients. And I'm here tonight with Lindsay Fischette, who, along with her team, won the best poster presentation at CSM this year. So welcome, Lindsay. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Before we get started, I wanted to give you a chance to just acknowledge some of your teammates in this project. So if you want to share with us who they are. Sure. It was myself and a few of my classmates from my DPT class at the University of Scranton. Um, it's Sarah Neff Utrell, Ashley Scoyne, and Tanya Machina, um, who are my peers who worked on the project with me. And then we also had our faculty advisor, Dr. Renee Hakem, um, who helped us all the way throughout the project. Great. So before we get into talking about your poster presentation, I wanted to give you a chance. Um, I know that you're a student, but just tell us a little bit more about what year you're in and maybe just something along those lines. Sure. Um, I'm a third year DPT student currently at the University of Scranton. I've been going to the University of Scranton for seven years for my undergrad as well. I also um, was very involved in the PT club while I was in grad school. Great. All right. So the title of your um, poster was Wearable Sensors for Balance and Mobility in Adults with uh, Parkinson's Disease, and it was a systematic review. So why don't you just start us off and just give us a quick blurb, just um, kind of an overview of the project, and then we'll get into more questions. Sure. Like you said already, it was a systematic review. So we did a search of databases with criteria to find some articles related to using wearable sensors for balance and mobility in Parkinson's disease. So from our search, we found seven articles that fit within our search criteria. And from those seven articles, we were able to split them up into a few different categories based on what the articles were looking at. Okay. So my first question is, um, why, why this topic? Were you given the topic or did you have an interest in it? So we started with a very broad idea of looking at technology applied to a neurological population. And then based on some searching, we were able to narrow down to looking at wearable sensors and Parkinson's disease. And then we found that there were already, I believe, a couple of systematic reviews looking at gait. So we went a different direction, um, looking at balance and mobility instead. So just for our listeners, when you're talking about balance and mobility, can you give me some ideas of some, like what activities were you looking at or were the articles looking at? Sure. So I can give you um, the categories that we ended up splitting the articles up into to synthesize our results. Um, so the first one was looking at two subtypes of Parkinson's disease the PIGD or postural instability gait difficulty subtype and the TD subtype, the tremor dominant subtype. The second category that we looked at was articles that um, looked at fall risk. Uh, the third one we looked at, we categorized based on articles that were looking at movement strategies. So a lot of those were looking at um, sit to stand transitions, turning transitions, that type of thing. And then the final category looked at 
sensors used to enhance interventions. All right, Lindsay, well, you um, gave us a list of four different categories. Would you like to expand a little bit on each one? So with the trimmer and the PIGD category for the subtypes of PD, what were some of the um, parameters or information that the sensors picked up and what did that tell us? So in both of these articles, they used outcome measures to categorize participants into one of these subtype groups. And then they were able to use sensors to collect data and look at some differences uh, recorded by the sensors between the two groups. So in both articles, they were able to find that participants in the PIGD group had decreased daily physical activity. Um, and that probably makes a lot of sense because we know with a tremor dominant, they're usually not as affected with their gait and their balance, not as at risk of falls. So I would see that the, the um, pig D group probably being a lot less active because of that. All right. And one of the other sub um, or categories you spoke about was um, looking at full risk. Mm-hmm. And so were they comparing um, fallers to non-fallers with individuals with Parkinson's? Yes. So in the two articles that we found looking at fall risk, both of them used groups that were categorized as either fallers or non-fallers, either by outcome measures that we know have um, criteria for fall risk or not, or by taking a one-year fall history of whether the patient, the participant had fallen or not. And then were primarily they wearing the sensors just like for doing a couple of outcome measures or did they wear it for two or three days? So there were two articles in that category. Um, one had them wear the sensors for three days continuously. And then the other one had them the participants wear sensors during a 10 meter walk test. Okay, so one of each. Mm-hmm. All right. And do you know what parameters they use to differentiate whether they were classified as fallers or non-fallers? So in both articles, actually, they looked at a one-year fall history um, and categorized participants based on if they had had a fall in the past year or whether they had. Right. So they had them classified ahead of time going in, right? And then they wore the sensors. But what information from the sensors did they look at to see, yes, I, I would agree that they are fallers. Like, was it stride length or, you know, timed returns or freezing of gait? So they didn't use the sensors to classify participants as a faller or a non-faller. They established those criteria ahead of time and mm-hmm. then used the sensors to assess differences between the two groups. Okay. So what would be some of the differences that they found? So uh, in the first article, they looked at both quantity and quality of of physical activity, because that was the one article that where they had the participants wear sensors for three days. Mm -hmm. So they found that overall quantity of daily activity was similar, but they found a lot of significant differences in quality. So they found differences in uh, variability of gait and smoothness. Um, They found that there was decreased bilateral coordination and stepping patterns. And then they also, they took a record of falls in the year after the data collection 
and they found that in non-fallers, the time to the first fall was significantly sooner based on a higher gait variability detected in the three-day period where they had sensors applied. Okay, so so of the four categories, the third one that you were talking about with movement strategies, um, you had said that you were looking primarily at the tug, is that correct? One of the things for sit to stand? So there were three articles within that movement strategy uh, category that we identified. The There was one that looked at the tug. So okay. they had uh, participants complete the, the tug with sensors applied, and then were able to collect data on basically the quality of how that they completed the tug in terms of how they transitioned from walking to turning to sitting. Like. Obviously, I guess they saw a difference between um, individuals with Parkinson's and healthy age-matched norms, probably. And were they looking more at times of like the different transitions or more quality of movement? So that article specifically uh, did compare uh, participants with Parkinson's disease and a healthy control group. Um, And the main finding from that article looked at either a distinct strategy to an overlapping strategy. So that means they basically combined the turn and the sit component of the tug together, whereas the distinct strategy um, is kind of separating the turn and the sit. And they found differences in the Parkinson's disease group and the healthy control group um, in those strategies. So the participants with Parkinson's disease more often used an overlapping strategy and the participants in the healthy control group more often used a distinct strategy. Good. Okay. Um, And then lastly, with the interventions, tell us with those articles, how were the sensors used with your last category? So there were two articles that applied sensors during interventions. Um, The first one used sensors with a biofeedback system, essentially applying interventions with sensors providing feedback on errors um, in order to create better movement patterns. So they use interventions related to weight shifting, posture, and functional tasks in the intervention group. And then in the control group, they had similar interventions, but only provided verbal feedback from physical therapists. And in this article, they did not find significant differences in outcomes between the two groups. Um, However, both groups did make improvements in functional outcome scores. So it's not that sensors weren't effective. It's just that they found similar effectiveness between using sensors and just verbal feedback. And what about with um, freezing of gait? Did that come up at all with any of these? (laughs) So one of the articles identified in the movement strategy category also had sensors that were applied for three days. And they did look at some more uh, daily Uh, daily living transition um, criteria. So they looked at sit to stand versus sit to walk transitions in adults with Parkinson's disease compared to healthy older adults Mm -hmm. um, and found that healthy older adults were more likely to use a sit to walk or walk to sit transition compared to adults with Parkinson's disease who were more likely to use a sit to stand to walk or sit or uh, walk to stand to sit transition, just kind of showing that their movement patterns are a little bit more broken up, not as smooth. Yes. And that would definitely make sense, especially if they were having trouble with initiation, um, you know, because of a freezing episode. 
And in regards to um, the types of sensors, most of them were accelerometers, is that correct? Most of the sensors used in the articles were accelerometer gyroscope combinations. Okay. And in regards to parts of the body that were, they were typically worn on, was it one accelerometer or was it a set of, you know, six? I think the range we found was um, some articles only used one and then the highest number, I believe, was six. But I believe most commonly one or two sensors were used. Okay. So, you know, it's all interesting. You, you read these articles, right? And um, there's always so much research out there. But one of the main things we often want to know is looking at the whole thing and, you know, you going to be a clinician soon. Do you think that there, in your own practice, that you would find that there is a benefit to using sensors in the clinic? Um, I think at this point, the research is very new. I think there's a lot of promise in where it can go. Um, I think one of the biggest limitations at this point is all this research shows that you can identify differences in patients with Parkinson's disease and healthy older adults, or even within uh, levels of severity of Parkinson's disease. You can identify differences based on sensor data, but I think there needs to be more research to establish what type of sensor data is indicative of different levels of severity or indicative of a fall risk in order to make it more clinically usable. But I think it's headed in that direction, which is exciting. Right. Yeah. And also, I was thinking, you know, just having the sensors, because we do use the sensors in the clinic, and just being able to use them for noting, is your interventions, you know, um, are you making gains with the patient? You know, you can be much more specific and picking up more fine data, like variability, that with a regular stopwatch and doing a timed, you know, up and go, you wouldn't get that. Um, and that, and we know how important that is. But some of the other things that we were interested in, are you going any further with this in regards to, are you looking to publish it or you're happy with your poster? And Well, I think we're definitely very happy with our poster <laughs> and uh, we definitely never expected to get interviewed for a podcast <laughs> by any means, which is very exciting. Um, we haven't discussed uh, moving any further with this project in terms of getting it published. So Lindsay, just looking at your future, I mean, you're, you're graduating probably soon, right? Yes. Um, so that's exciting. And so what's in your future? Where do you see yourself going and um, is research in your future? Research is definitely something that I'm very interested in. I hope to eventually be involved in higher education somewhere. Um, while I was in DPT school, I served as a graduate assistant, um, which was one of my most favorite experiences in grad school. I really loved um, being able to mentor students in uh, the years below me in PT school and um, being able to help them achieve success in their education. Um, so I'm hoping to be able to you know, get into higher education, maybe do some teaching in the future, which also should involve some research as well. Yes, and we, we are in need of good educators in the PT field, so that would be fabulous. So, so Lindsay, we have a tradition here at the, on, the, on the 4D podcast that besides, you know, 
hearing all the wonderful things that you're learning and doing in, um, in PT school and your future career, that do you do anything else as a PT student that's not PT related, something fun um, that you want to share with our listeners? So I am an avid Ultimate Frisbee player. I played that for seven years through school. I also enjoy racing triathlons. Um, and outside of athletic endeavors, uh, I enjoy reading and I also know how to knit and crochet, which was my uh, favorite pandemic hobby to do while I was at home. I had an aunt who used to knit and she could only do scarves and everyone in the house had, we had like four or five scars, scarves from my aunt Jean. I have Very done a cute. couple of, I have done a couple of scarves. <laughs> So um, thanks for joining us and special thanks to our guest, uh, Lindsay, today. Her and her group won the best poster for the DDSIG. So thanks again for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. 4D is produced by the ANPT Degenerative Diseases Special Interest Group. Our podcast team includes Carm Paget, Sarah Zoller, Katie McGraw, Rebecca Martin, Adriana Carey, Casey Burris, and I am Chris Burke. Subscribe to our newsletter on the ANPT website at neuropt.org or check us out on Facebook. And please share this episode with a friend or colleague. Special thanks to Jimmy McKay of the PT Pinecast for providing music. And thanks for listening. Yeah. And I wanted to ask you, do you pronounce your last name uh, Fichette or Fichet? Or Uh, neither of them? It's Fichette. (laughs) (laughs) That would have been the last thing I would have guessed. I had you like French. I'm so bad with my students' last names. I don't even pronounce them. I, I just, everybody's just their first name. Did I ask you too many questions? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> have, do you have ideas of jobs yet? Which way you're headed? Uh, or can we, should not... we not talk about that? <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like maybe, maybe we should like put it out there. Lindsay's looking for a job. <laughs> So is that good? Is that what you wanted or no?